Good morning. My name is Naomi Robinson and my sister Mabel. <laughs> our scripture passages come from the book of Luke, chapters 18 and 19, 30, verses 35 through 43 and 1 through 10. Dear God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be opened as we read this passage. Third, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Received your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the, a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and, and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. I was teasing everyone that I come with my own staff. <laughs> Passing out journals, reading scripture. <laughs> the benefit of a big family. <laughs> All right. Well, what does it mean to see Jesus? What does that mean to see Jesus? Now, I'm... I'm sure that you all took that many different ways. There are many ways that your heart and mind could have gone with that, uh, from the very, very literal to completely uh, metaphorical. And, and that's okay. That's okay. This is an open space to really meditate on how you can connect with the Lord and Savior. But I encourage you to continue to draw and sketch and write and um, process visually and we're going to kind of dig in to what it meant for these two men in these back-to-back -back scriptures here in Luke. And at first reading, it might look like our blind beggar and Zacchaeus don't have very much in common. But we're going to dig in and we're going to see a common thread between these two men and reflect on what that might look like in our lives. So we'll start with first the blind beggar. And I know that this seems like kind of a black and white story. We have a man who has a physical impairment and he receives miraculous healing and is a beautiful story that glorifies God and, and shows his love and his power and his might. And of course we have to see that the blind beggar then immediately glorifies God and, and follows Jesus, goes wherever Jesus goes after that. So in a nutshell, we already have this wonderful example of turning to Jesus and glorifying God and following uh, in, the, in that midst of his love. 
But I want to dig us a little deeper today because I think there's a little more to the circumstances that this blind beggar was in than perhaps our first pass reading the scripture is going to, is going to tell us. And first I want to kind of uh, put in a framework for what life was really like for our blind beggar. He was living uh, in Jericho, and, and yes, he was a beggar. We picture that, he, that it was prob- probably pretty destitute of a situation. But what we need to acknowledge is that the beggar was actually serving a recognized role in society. He was, in essence, providing a service, making begging sort of his job, sort of his profession. I'm not saying it was a glamorous one, but he did sort of have a place in society at the time because pious people were expected to give alms to God. And so beggars could declare loudly, give to God. And they would give an opportunity for the pious people passing by to fulfill their obligation and give to God through the hands of the beggar. And thus the system worked. Seems to work for everyone. And what's interesting about this is that the beggars who had physical limitations would be the ones who would be, stay with me here, more successful beggars. Okay? And I, I know that seems like an oxymoron because we're certainly not talking about a glamorous lifestyle, I know. But in essence, we are talking about someone whose livelihood was maybe even improved by his physical impairment, by his lack of sight. So, all that to say, when Jesus passes by, it's maybe not the no-brainer we originally thought it was that he would want his sight restored. It's maybe a little more complicated than that. And as we look at what he chooses to say when he hears about Jesus passing by, we get even more of a picture of this. Because he shouts, Son of David. Son of David. A a name that's really only been used by the Syrophoenician woman and the blind beggar. Son of David. It shows that he's acknowledging Jesus as Messiah. He understands who Jesus is, his Messiah. And furthermore, what he shouts is, Son of David, have mercy on me. The first words out of his mouth are not, hey, come heal me. Hey, that's the guy that does miracles, I want one. It's, Son of David, have mercy on me. Throughout scripture, we see mercy equated to a level of forgiveness. The psalmist in Psalm 85 actually talks about receiving mercy as receiving joy. So there's a heart posture we start to see from this man who is acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah and is asking for mercy. All of that put together leads us to the question then where when Jesus says, what is it that you want from me? There are actually a few answers that he could have given. It's not, it's not so black and white like we might have originally thought. And he replies, Jesus, I'd like to see. But there is an implication there. Jesus, I'd like to see that I might see you. In fact, there's an early uh, theologian. I'm going to get a little nerdy, but I know there are some nerds with me in this church, so we're going we're gonna to go there, okay? Um, he was an early church translator, 2nd century BC, by the name of Tatian, the Syrian. And uh, he wrote, he translated what's called the Diatessaron, which is sort of all of the Gospels put into one Gospel. And it was the only Gospel used by the church in Syria for the 3rd and 4th century BC. So kind of stood the the test of a few centuries there. And when he translated this story, he quite literally translated it as, 
I, I want to see that I might see you. He went ahead and put that phrase in there. And what's so beautiful about that is that, yes, maybe having his sight restored as a, as a general rule was going to make things easier on him in many ways. Then again, there might be some ways that could get a little more challenging for him if now he wouldn't be as successful as of a beggar. I mean, it's not like he has necessarily any resume of which to speak. We're not necessarily told of any skills or job prospects. So in essence, he is, his heart is reaching out to Jesus without any real concern for what that's going to mean for his financial future, what the next step is going to be in his career life, what it's going to mean for his social setting, who's he going to hang with. He's not, he's not thinking about any of that. That's the Messiah, and I want to see him. I know sometimes we get bogged down thinking about all the miracles Jesus can do for us, and we forget that we need to be striving to see the face of Jesus before we strive to see the hand of Jesus. We have to be looking first for his face, not for what he can do for us. Right? You guys with me? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's no coincidence, okay? We have, this, we have this occurrence with this blind beggar, and then Jesus passes through Jericho, and we have our encounter with Zacchaeus. And it seems like these two men are opposites. It seems like we have... Uh, one man who is in this destitute situation, has a real physical need, wants a real physical healing, and then we have, in essence, an oppressor, right? Weren't we told Jesus came for the oppressed, not the oppressors? And yet we have Zacchaeus here, a rich tax collector, stepping on anyone to get ahead, an oppressor. But we're going to see how these men actually have some similarities, and Jesus can work healing in both of their lives. He passes through Jericho. The crowd following is probably a little annoyed, if not maybe very angry at this time, because Jesus didn't stay. <laughs> he passed through. Do you notice that in our story? He comes into Jericho. He passes through Jericho. He's leaving Jericho. This sycamore fig tree was not allowed to grow uh, within 25 cubits of the city walls. So by the time we get to Zacchaeus up in the tree... We're outside the walls of Jericho. He didn't stop and stay a while. He didn't make himself comfortable. So the crowd might be a little annoyed. Where's the banquet? Where's our time with you? We didn't get the attention we wanted. We, they might be a little annoyed at this point. So couple a crowd that is maybe feeling a little slighted with a man that they hate. <laughs> that they hate. Not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. A rich chief tax collector, who has stepped on anyone he's needed to to get ahead. So think about what that must mean for Zacchaeus running ahead and wanting to see Jesus. It means, quite literally, he's, he's risking his life. Sometimes we think he's just curious. It's just a curiosity. Sometimes we think the climbing of the tree was just to get a better view because he was short. But there's also an element here of this not being a safe situation for Zacchaeus. Nothing about this was safe for him. I mean, it's silly, first of all, to even think that this rich man is running and climbing a tree. 
I would love to know how many adults in this room, maybe over the age of 30, have climbed a tree in the last year. Oh, I got a couple hands. I, I'm impressed. And Bennett, you are not over 30. <laughs> and this wasn't just any man. This was a rich man. Okay, have, can we picture Bill Gates climbing a tree? Is that something we could all picture? Maybe Elon Musk. He's a little, he's a little out there. He might climb a tree. <laughs> but, uh, but, but most rich men, this is not normal behavior anyway. Okay, this is already very weird. But those big leaves in this sycamore tree could provide a little bit of camouflage because he's not in a safe space here. Without getting like too, you know, PG-13 on you, uh, he could get offed. This crowd doesn't, doesn't like him that much, you know? And nobody would know necessarily. They could kind of leave his body there, crowd would disperse, and... Nobody's really going to care. They'll find it after the crowd disperses. All that to say, this is not a safe place for Zacchaeus to be at all, but he wants to see Jesus that badly. And we don't even, we don't even have the obvious physical limitation or healing that he's looking for or wanting to get ahead in the world. Like, we're, we don't even have a motivation here. Zacchaeus just wants to see Jesus, no matter what it means for him. And look what happens when he does. Look what happens when he has this encounter with Jesus and experiences a spiritual healing that turns his life around which is going to lead to completely uncharted waters. He says, I'm going to give everything I own to the poor, and then I'm going to pay back four times what I've wronged people. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that is mathematically impossible. He mathematically can't do that. He's going to give everything away, and then with his nothing left, he's going to give back not just what he stole, but four times what he stole. He's in essence saying, I will spend the rest of my life trying to make it right. I will spend every day moving forward thinking of others and not living the way I used to be living. That's the spiritual healing that Zacchaeus receives. And, and there's, there's no telling how he's going to get any of that money. He doesn't have a plan. I know we talked about this last week, and you all know I'm a planner, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have a next job lined up. He doesn't have necessarily a vision for what that's going to look like. Those are all secondary. What needs to come first is the desire to see Jesus. Not for what he can get, but just because of who Jesus is. The desire to actually look upon Jesus, not because of what he can do for us, but because of who he is. Right? Everybody still with me? I hope you're sketching. <laughs> and if, you have, if anybody has any sketches that look like those slides we put up, I, you have to show me. I have to know who has hidden talent in here. Now, the thing is, uh, 
I'm, I'm aware that I can preach this whole sermon and I can point to how the blind beggar wanted to see the face of Jesus and how Zacchaeus, no matter what it was going to mean for his future, wanted to see the face of Jesus. And then we're here today. Can we see the face of Jesus? How do we see the face of Jesus? I don't know which direction you went when I, when I asked the question immediately at the beginning, but there are many ways that we can. Jesus tells his disciples, I will be with you until the end of the age. He says, I will be with you. Jesus is here now. He might not be walking around in the flesh. We might not climb trees to get a look at him necessarily, although maybe that is how you try to see Jesus is climbing a tree. There were quite a few adults who raised their hands, for the record. And, yes, and also Bennett. (laughs) But the Spirit of Christ is present with us now, right now, right here, in this room, in your car, in your home, in your place of work, in the grocery store, with you, wherever you go, the Spirit of Christ is there. He will not leave you. So the question is, are you looking? Are you looking? Do you start your day and say, where am I going to see Jesus today? It's not about my next step, my, my financial future, knowing what's going what's gonna to bring the most ease to my life or the most safety. I'm not out looking for the safest environment, the easiest environment, the, the richest environment, the most popular place I can be, the place that gives me the most status, the place that gives me the most power. I'm not out looking for any of that. I'm not even thinking about any of that. I am starting my day thinking, where can I see Jesus? I want to see Jesus, not because of what he can do for me, but just because of who he is. He's not my genie. He's not my vending machine. He's my savior. He's the Lord of Lords. So maybe to you, seeing Jesus has an element of a deeper understanding Maybe when you were sketching, you were, you were equating the word see with the word know. How can I know him more? That's sort of seeing with the eyes of your heart, which Paul talks about in Ephesians. Maybe, maybe you thought about seeing Jesus in God's beautiful creation around you or in a restored relationship. Whether you went as literal as possible, as metaphoric as possible, whether you are a poet... <laughs> As long as you're postured towards starting off every discussion, every, every plan, every morning with first looking for the face of Jesus, then we are offered beautiful healing. Not always physical, but always spiritual. And it's worth noting, too, that that healing doesn't even just affect us. That causes a ripple effect, a domino effect. When Zacchaeus experienced his physical healing and he committed to paying back what he owed, that effect brought a level of restoration to all the people he had wronged. 
So let's not pretend here that Jesus didn't still come for the oppressed. Working through Zacchaeus did affect the oppressed. Jesus works like that. But first we have to be postured towards seeing his face. We are going to be lighting the candle of hope this morning. And I love this season. I know Paul was teasing that I did come in and say, Advent season, all Christmas songs. <laughs> and it's true. We have the next few weeks lined up. Uh, this, is the, this is the only one I'm not leaving. <laughs> but I love this season. There is such expectation and excitement for the arrival of Jesus. And what's so beautiful about that is he is our hope. We don't have to drill down to the nitty-gritty and the ins and outs and practicalities of day-to-day life. We can look directly to Jesus and have hope. Directly. It's beautiful. And I know I uh, referenced Paul writing to the Ephesians, but I wanted... um, kind of leading up to the lighting of the Advent candle to read you a beautiful blessing that Paul prays over the church at Ephesus because it's something that I want for this community. And I think it just ties so nicely into our first candle, our candle of hope today. I'm actually going to read it and not try to memorize it, so let me just get there. Here we go. Paul says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know the hope of God's calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Heavenly Father, looking toward your face, seeking your spirit in our lives. Lord, we strive to keep that the center, the focus of our day-to-day. God, sometimes it's hard to not lead with the I wants. Sometimes it's hard to not assume we know what we need and bring those to you. Sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves, Lord, and for that we are so sorry. But we come to you this morning, God, and we ask that you would help ground us and center us. And Lord, as we seek to see you in everything, would you please reveal yourself? We thank you so much that gazing upon your glory, Lord, will bring us healing. And we pray that you... Give us the strength to just celebrate that relationship with you and and not get bogged down in what that's going to mean for the day-to-day practicalities of our future, Lord, but what that means to be completely covered by your love and your grace. God, we want to seek you not for what you can do for us, but because of who you are. We don't want to seek your hand before we seek your face. Thank you, Lord, for your continual grace and love 
and thank you for the hope you've given us in Jesus Christ. Amen.